We are starting a new series this morning. Uh, The series is called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And it's going to take us probably, I think, about 18 months to do this series. (laughs) Um, Don't worry, we won't be doing it all the time. Uh, I... Over the course of the last year, one of the things I've been trying to do is listen. Listen to the church. Uh, what are people in the church saying? What's God speaking to people in the church? What's God been doing among our church? And alongside that, trying to listen to God. What's God saying about who we are as a church and where we might be going? And listening to what God's saying to me. Who am I? What's he calling me to? What am I supposed to invest in? And I've got this really clear sense that actually God would have us move in this direction. And what this direction is will hopefully be clear at the end of this sermon. I'm not going to jump ahead to that. And what I want us to do is take this series, and it's got three big sections to it. This one being with Jesus. Uh, Later we'll talk about uh, becoming like Jesus. And then the last one's doing what Jesus did. And we'll take those three big sections. We'll intersperse them with the Christian calendar, as we have done over the last year. So we'll take time in Advent. We'll take time through the season of Lent. We'll take time through the season of Pentecost. But actually, the vast majority of the church calendar is actually made up of a time called ordinary time. And I love that. Because actually, do you know what? Most of our time is just bang on. Live everything's really exciting and all the high days and holidays actually most of the time life is just ordinary is that is that fair fair assumption and the purpose of all of this is to ask this question or to answer this question what is it for us to be followers of Jesus to be disciples or apprentices of Jesus do we follow well after Jesus is really the question that we're going to spend the next year, 18 months looking at. I mean, in some senses, we're going to spend the rest of our lives asking that question, but we're explicitly going to ask that question over the course of the next year to 18 months. It feels like the thing that God is speaking to me about with regard to us as a church. What is it to be a disciple-making community? What is it to be a group of people who are committed together to follow? I've just used a whole load of words, particularly Christian words, that actually sometimes we just let trip off our tongue, like disciple or follower of Jesus, that kind of thing. And actually I want us to take time to say, what do we mean by those words and how do we get there? That's what we're going to spend time doing. This might work properly, is it? I really don't want there to be any distractions. Let me... uh... Okay. John chapter 10, verse 10, says this. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How do you react when you hear that verse? It's really famous. How do you react? I have a deep suspicion that most of us have a surface reaction that says, yes, and something deep inside of us that says, no, I don't experience that. I don't live like that. And actually, there's a difference between what we believe we should be experiencing, what we want to experience, what we know is the promise of a full life, and what we're actually experiencing, which is something less than that. And I don't think we name that very often in church. I think we pretend like, yes, life and life to all its fullness, life and life and all its abundance. But actually most of us are living much more complicated lives than that. Filled with suffering and pain and darkness. And we feel like, wait a minute, I'm not sure where the space for that is. How do I go from here to here? That actually that we struggle with our disappointment and our frustration because this is our goal and we're not really sure how the two don't match up. And that dissatisfaction with life is real. Morvan did a sermon in the summer series, if you weren't here, it's worth listening to it online again, where she talked about the, the Greek god uh, Sisyphus, I think. He wasn't a god, he, he, wasn't, he was one of the, 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 the heroes, uh, who had to cart a big rock up the hill every day and then it rolled all the way back down to the bottom. And the, the, purpose of the, the point of that was that there's a, there was a purposelessness to his life. And I think we can look outside the church and see, yes, that's true. We see lots of people outside in, 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 who, are, who are just every day lugging a rock up the hill and disappointingly watching it roll down the bottom and then going and getting it the next day. Can we be honest enough to say that many of us in the church function like that too? That our disappointment might not be the same, but it's different. And some of it's around this. We know we're supposed to be having a full life, but we're not experiencing it. And we just keep trudging around the same thing over and over again. We need to try something different. We need to figure different rhythms out. This is, I think, a deep, deep challenge to us in the church globally in our church in fact I shouldn't say the church globally I should say the church in the west because as we listened to Elijah Brown last week we were reminded there are places in the world where the church is thriving now thriving doesn't necessarily look like being wealthy and rich but the church is growing there's a joy to be found in Jesus the stories of our brothers and sisters in Syria particularly really got me but we don't have time for that today um that dissatisfaction is real and we need to just own it. Because unless we own it, we can't actually begin to address it. So it's okay for us to say, you know what, I'm not experiencing that. I'd love to, but I'm not. And it also creates for us a missional opportunity. Because I promise you that most people in society have this deep dissatisfaction 
somewhere inside. They won't admit it, but there's a deep dissatisfaction going on that says something like, this can't be all there is, is it? Just making it through. Worried about tomorrow. Worried about next month. Worried about the end of October and what's going to happen then. Worried about next year. Worried about a deep dissatisfaction. Indeed Brexit, Willie. So what do we do? Well, the good news is I think the Bible has a solution. And I want to propose that it comes from a couple of places. Let's read together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Matthew the next little bit. I got myself a fancy gadget on my app this week. It's got a timer for my sermon. It turns red when I'm supposed to finish. (laughs) The the only problem is the app's brilliant, but it still requires an an idiot to work it. So I I forgot to start it. So it doesn't... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, yeah, yeah, we'll put it up on the screen too. It'll all start flashing red when I'm supposed to be done. Um, Matthew chapter 11, and from verse 28... Jesus has been talking here about who his father is, about his relationship with his father. And then he says this, famous, famous words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are powerful, powerful words. Three things I want to say about this text. It begins with, come to me. Right, this is the essence of Christian discipleship. There is nothing more beyond this at some level. Is the invitation to come to Jesus. No matter whether you've been a Christian for a week, a month, a year, or a hundred years, the invitation of Christian discipleship is still the same. Come to me, says Jesus. Be with Jesus. Be with him. That is the invitation and the beginning and I would say the end of Christian discipleship. We, we, there is nothing we can consider to be Christian discipleship that is done apart from Jesus. That's the first thing. The second is Jesus has these, this strange language here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from you. Now, I don't know if you know what a yoke is. Now, a yoke was typically something that was used by um, ox to pull a, a, well, to pull whatever they wanted really, but usually a plough or something. But it's not actually an agricultural reference here. That's what it is. But when there was a rabbi going around teaching uh, in Israel or in the Middle East at that time, they would go around and they would come and they would teach people and they would be looking in each village for the very best of the best that they could find to come and follow them so that they would build up their school and they would have uh, these really smart men that would follow them around and they would be young men, teenage men, and they would learn. And they would learn what? They would learn that rabbi's yoke. 
That was the language that was used. And he would lay their, his yoke upon them, and then it was their job to learn that and become conversant in that. So they would do things like they would memorize the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, they would memorize uh, all sorts of other uh, scriptures that, that the Jewish people were using at that time, the Talmud and such like. And they would learn how that particular rabbi interpreted them, and that was the yoke. And then they would go and then they would go out and tell other people and then this, the, the fame of this particular rabbi would grow. That's how it worked in those days. And along comes this man, Jesus. And I want you to hear the words he speaks. He says, come to me all... Let's just stop there for a moment. He, he doesn't put any categories on who can come this rabbi comes around and he's not looking for the best of the best he's not looking for the cream of the crop he said come to me all all who are weary and burdened anyone he doesn't put a gender on it for example so we know for a fact that while Jesus' apostles, the 12 of the apostles, they were all male, we know fine well that the disciples, those that wider group, maybe hundreds that were following him, loads of those were female. Well, that was really unusual. In fact, unheard of to have female disciples. And Jesus had female disciples. So he, he's got this group now following him around. And he said, my yoke... My teaching, the life that I want to give you to live, it's easy. And the burden of it is light. This is Jesus taking what was known in that context, this rabbi's teaching, this heavy weight of learning that you would have to do. And Jesus saying, yeah, come to me, anyone that wants it. And my burden is completely different. It's light. And what's the outcome of that? Well, the outcome is rest for your souls. Peace might be another word to put it. Satisfaction. Something quite different than weariness and burdensome or indeed the heavy weight of my life is not matching up to this abundant life that I seem to be promised and therefore I must be doing something wrong or something's going wonky or whatever actually this is the life to which Jesus has asked us and invited us to a life that is unburdened and light I want to read it to us from a different, pass, a different uh, translation. So Eugene Peterson uh, wrote the Message Bible. Uh, the, the backstory to that is fascinating. He was preaching uh, a series um, on the, what are called the Psalms of Ascent, the final section of the book of Psalms. And he realized that these Psalms of Ascent, which are praise songs, but also are called Psalms of Ascent because they were spoken by the people and sung by the people as they went to Jerusalem for festivals and so Jerusalem is on the top of a hill and so they were literally psalms of ascent as people went up 
And he realised that his congregation in uh, the United States at the time didn't grasp a lot of what was going on. So he started to translate it into the vernacular of the world. So he started with that last part of the Psalms and eventually translated the whole Bible. And some of it's... Yeah. And some of it's brilliant. And this is one of the verses that he gets that he absolutely nails. So it says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? We'll just pause there. Is there anyone in this room that can say, I'm at least a little bit there. And the rest of you are liars. Um, <laughs> we, we get tired. This world is tough sometimes. Come to me says Jesus. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. This is Jesus teaching. This is his yoke in the other language. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. We're now getting into what does this look like? This isn't come and sit at his feet and just learn lots of information. We're now into walking, working, watching, much more physical, participative things, rather than just sitting in rows in a building and listening to someone talk. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that sentence. That's why this series is called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. We'll come back to that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We begin to get something of the sense of the type of followership that Jesus is looking for. The kind of discipleship that Jesus is offering. It's like an apprenticeship. In a craft. Come and be with me. Learn how I do it. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch me. These are the lang- this is the same language an apprentice would use. That's how people learn. I am not very handy in the house. I'm good in the kitchen. But if you hand me a hammer or a screwdriver, it's best just to get out of the way. But there's this great invention, it's called YouTube, right? It transformed the world in many ways. But for me, it meant I now had access to how to fix anything that's ever been broken, ever. You go on YouTube, you, go, you type in toilet broken, and there's a list of videos of how to fix your broken toilet. So... About uh, two and a half years ago, uh, in our house in Aberdeen, the toilet was broken. The, the, I don't know what you can call it. See, this is how good I am. I think it's called the cistern, the bit where all the water comes in. So I'm like, right, it's bust. And it was properly broken eventually. Once I'd Googled it a few times, it became apparent. It wasn't just a simple, the little ball floaty bit was broken. We needed to properly fix it. But that's okay because there was a man on YouTube telling you how to do it. Simple. So off we go to screw fix and we pick up our nice new bit of uh, cistern and we come back down and the colour doesn't match but I'm not that bothered. Karen was. Uh, I'm like, it's fine, it's the right size, we'll be good. Karen's, I'm not sure about this. Ow, I can fix it. 
it'll be fine. The man on YouTube told me how to do it. So I watched the video a number of times. The video was four minutes long. Well, after three days, buckets of water being shipped into the bath, I realized that perhaps, perhaps we might need to call in a professional who actually knew what they were doing. But I watched one last YouTube video. And basically, that YouTube video said, get your silicon gun out and just fill everything with silicon and nothing will leak. So I did that. And you know what happened? It leaked. <laughs> there was water everywhere. What's the point of this story? I know nothing about plumbing. And uh, if the plumbing in the church breaks, don't call me. What we need to call is a plumber. Someone who has apprenticed in this. Someone who has worked with another plumber and seen when a toilet is broken, how you actually fix it, how you fit it. The fact that you make sure that the pipes that are coming in are the same size as the pipe fittings on the end. That might have been where I went wrong. Um, so when the plumber guy eventually gets there, he comes in, he has a look, he like, like, like plumbers do, or builders, and everybody do. They come in and they go, they've got this special set of noises they make. They go, oh, mm, uh. <laughs> That's basically the noise the guy makes. And I'm like, uh, what are you laughing at? He's like, who did that? It's like, um, um, that, that was me. He's like, the pipes are all the wrong size. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. That'll be why the water was all leaking out. Took him about five seconds to diagnose my two-week-long job as being wrong. Because he had apprenticed and learned, he knew stuff. This is the kind of thing that we need to get at. And too many of us want the YouTube version of discipleship. We'll watch a three-minute video about somebody else and think we're now a plumber. We'll watch a three-minute video of somebody else and think we're now a follower of Jesus. And we are followers of Jesus, but we're not maturing that way. That's not how we mature. To mature, we come to Jesus. And we apprentice at the feet of the Master. And it's, we are invited to be there. But here's the thing, this is not a part-time adventure. This is not a, oh, I can give this a go alongside my hill walking and my canoeing and my climbing and I'll follow Jesus alongside it. It's all-consuming. The pastor in the States, a guy called John Mark Comer, who I've found really helpful on these, and we're going to provide a whole load of resources for you, and some of his are some of the ones that uh, I think are the most helpful. He says this, to follow Jesus is an entire life's pursuit. It's not just an event on a Sunday, but a way of life in community around the teachings of Jesus. To live this way means we need to be transformed from the inside out. Is this kind of deep, authentic, radical change of character even possible? Really? Even in the chaos of the modern digital urban world, the answer is absolutely yes. Through teaching, practice, community and the Holy Spirit, we can recover our humanity in apprenticeship to Jesus. And that's the promise. 
The promise isn't you get to be some kind of special Christian. The promise is we recover our very humanity. That's what we're being offered. To be a follower of Jesus is not just to be special or different, but it's to recover the humanity, recover our own humanity. That's what being a follower of Jesus is. So that's a great big... But the question, not unreasonably, is, well, how? And here's the thing that it's important to note here. I'm not going to say anything new in the next 18 months that hasn't been said by smarter people than me at some point through church history. But there are some things we can recover from church history. There are some things we can recover from other traditions. There are some things from our own tradition that we can recover that can be really, really helpful for us in thinking about how we are formed, how we are apprenticed to Jesus. So, the first thing we're going to do is this structure. Not because it's particularly holy, and I certainly didn't come up with it. It is that guy that I mentioned earlier, John Mark Comer's uh, model. It is helpful for me. It's been helpful for me to think about it like this. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things... He he did more than one thing. Oops, that's a typo. Doing the things he did or does. That's the three ways that we're going to look at this. And we're going to follow this rhythm through the course of the next 18 months or so. Looking at these three things. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be with Jesus. See, this is about our deliberate formation as people who are disciples and followers of Jesus. That we are being apprenticed in the way of Jesus. It will cost us something to engage with this. Because if we are not living that full abundant life that we want just now, you won't get it by osmosis. You need to actually make some changes. We need to make some changes. That may mean we need to change some things we do here on a Sunday. But for most of us, it will mean changing some practices that we're involved in during the week. There's a a term in therapy that they use. And they tell you to do the work. Do the work. That actually, if you're you're going to see a therapist or a counsellor, you get an hour a week with them or a couple of hours a week with them. And that will never be enough. And so they're always telling you, you need to do the work. You've got to do the hard work through the week. And that's exactly the same for us. We've got to do the work. And here's the thing. If we decided, if I decided today I was going to run a marathon. In fact, let's, let's not get daft. Let's say a 10K, right? If I decided today I was going to run a 10K and I got up tomorrow morning and I went to go and run a 10K, what will happen? Sorry? Bad things. Yeah, you'll find me in a ditch. Breathing like... Is there anyone here who's run a 10k before? There's a few. No, 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 no. We're talking 10... No, no, half in a year, Willie. We're, we're talking about 10s. So there's a few folk run 10k. Nice high... Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you do the first day you went out for a run? Did you run 10k? One minute on, one minute off, and you covered, what, a couple of kilometers maybe? Now that sounds more like I could do that. 
This journey is more like training for a 10k or a marathon than it is about suddenly waking up tomorrow morning and deciding everything's different. You can't do it that way. You will end up in the ditch. We don't want anyone in the ditch. What we want to do is create a pace and a rhythm that we can learn and slowly step into the things we do. And for those of you who have run 10Ks, you'll do your one minute on, one minute off kind of thing. And you'll do maybe a kilometer one day and 2K. And then eventually you'll discover, I've just run 10K. How did that happen? But actually you don't notice it because it's gradually building one on the other. And so we're going to have to commit to doing different things. Do you know what? I feel a bit... That, that analogy of running a 10K, I am going to commit that over the course of this series, by the end, I will run a 10K. I'm not doing a marathon. I'll do a 10K. Okay? That, that, that's going to be my physical outworking of some of this. I will, I will commit to doing that. Because this is absolutely one slow step at a time. And I'm going to come back and say, so I'm now up to 5K. How are we all getting on? What things has God been provoking you about to do? Because it's going to be about taking some rhythms. Some practical, simple things that we can do. We're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at Sabbath. What does it mean for us to Sabbath well? How many of us end up coming to church and end up going home a bit frazzled from church rather than rested? We need to figure that out. That Sabbath rest, that Sabbath rhythm. What about solitude and silence? How do we embrace those in a world that's so noisy? Particularly those of us who are engaged with in, in a workspace where there's a kind of whole digital environment that constantly presses in upon us. How do we find silence and solitude? What about fasting? What about engaging well in community? Some of these rhythms. What about the rhythm of the Eucharist, communion? How do all of those help to form us? And we're going to look at those over the course of the next eight weeks. But what I desperately don't want you to hear is that I'm asking you to do more stuff. Because that wouldn't make sense of Jesus saying, my burden is light and easy. And we, end, we could, there's a real risk here that it could end up sounding like a Pharisee that says, you must do these extra things. And I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that there are some practices, there are some rhythms that can be helpful for us in learning to be with Jesus. And that's really all we want to do. These things in and of themselves are not particularly holy. They're not particularly special. Some of the ones we're going to talk about, particularly I was doing some reading this week on silence and solitude. And you know what? There's a whole movement in our culture to embrace silence and solitude because people have realized it's actually good for your mental health. That there's a whole rhythm to be embraced there. But actually, do you know what? It's deeply rooted in our Christian faith. It's been something that's been practiced by Christians for two millennia. And so we're going to come across some things like that. It's not particularly holy just to sit in silence. But what are we doing? What are we attentive to? How do we understand how Jesus is speaking in the midst of that? And can he form us towards this sort of person that would be able to say, I am experiencing that abundant life 
that Jesus has promised. And it is about formation. Formation's a helpful word because it's a progressive thing. It's not a, it is now formed. It's not like binary like that. But it's a journey that we're all on. And there are markers on that journey. Things we can do that are helpful to mark. And we'll talk a bit about that. But we ultimately are being formed. And I want you to be clear about this in your head. Because we are all being formed all the time. Our culture is trying to form us into a particular type of people. The world that we live in here in the West is desperate to form us into consumers. People who will purchase stuff, spend money on stuff. That is what they're trying to form us into. People who are perpetually dissatisfied and need the next new thing. If you look at advertising with that lens on, so when you're driving home or you're walking home today, look at the adverts that you see. They're all about saying something new. So I saw something yesterday. There's a new iPhone out. The new iPhone 11 Pro. All it wants to do is make me say that there's something deficient with this one that I have here. Right? That's the goal. My number's still green. Um, It says that that it's deficient. That this new one, so it's new, therefore better. It's a pro, whereas mine doesn't have that label, so I don't know what that makes it, but it doesn't. And they've got a picture because it's got three cameras on the back. So mine's obviously just rubbish now, and I need. They're desperate to form me into being a consumer. It's everywhere. Everywhere. And some ways really uh, subtle, and other ways just right in your face. So you are being formed. In our schools today, they are forming people to think in a particular way. And man, we could talk all day about that. We are being formed. Our choice is what will be the thing that is primarily forming us. Will it be the world around us and happening accidentally and we're not thinking about it? Or will we allow ourselves to be formed primarily by Jesus as we are with him and we will eventually become like him and we will do the things that he does. But it will take us 18 months to get to the doing the things he does. So we've got plenty of time. What have we been formed into? And if I gave you the choice of what would you like to be formed into, I wonder if our answer would be, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Because that's ultimately the call of the follower. I want to be like Jesus. And we get that to do that by being with him. I'm going to finish with this. Uh, One of the books that I would, or one of the writers I would heartily recommend, he can be a bit heady, so if you're not into that, give it a pass, but there's a guy called James K.A. Smith, or Jamie Smith, Uh, he's written a few books in this area, one called um, Desiring the Kingdom, and the other one is called... uh, Disappeared. Um... It's completely gone now. Uh, it's about being uh, what forms us. So his underlying principle is that we are not just thinking people; we are actually we are subjects of the, our desires. So it's not enough just to change our beliefs, but actually the things we love are what form us. That's how we make our decisions. That's how we drive our lives. 
And so he says this, discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart. In other words, to organize your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. In other words, how we will then live. Because for him, how we love and our desires is how we live in the world. And actually, we know that to be true. We will talk about that in one of the future sermons. But this is what we're going to be talking about. Next 18 months, discipleship. How are we going to become more like Jesus? Collectively and together. It's a journey. We will not all go on it at the same pace. Our 10Ks will not all happen at the same rate. But we will get there. One foot in front of the other. Nice and slowly. And ultimately, we will all become like Jesus. That's the great promise. It's beautiful. Um, We are going to provide resources for our small groups. Uh, They'll be ready on Tuesday this week. We're going to have books that will sit up here each week. They are mine. You can look at them. You can touch them. You can uh, do what you like. If you'd like to borrow them, then uh, don't just take them. Come and see me because I have books that are scattered to the four winds and I have no idea where they are because people borrow them and then I forget to ask for them back and all of that. Um, So when I go to visit my friends, I look along their bookshelves because I write my name inside all my books (laughs) and normally I can pull one out and go, ah, it's just my no, and you open the front page and you go, yes it is um, so uh, so we'll have some books here uh, as resources and we'll try and provide some other things as we go along and most weeks, not this week but most weeks we will finish the services by doing an exercise together of some sort, some practical thing. So when we're talking about prayer or silence and solitude, the silence and solitude one, you know, I'll let you guess what we might do for, for that. But we will practice these things because here's the thing, and this is what I want to leave you with. None of this is about us thinking better. None of this is about me giving you a new doctrine or new teaching. This is all about us beginning to practice a rhythm of being with Jesus and understand that we'll be transformed by him. Anyone up for that? Good. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you. Yeah, I thank you that you invite us to come. That the invitation is not heavy and burdensome but it is to come.